Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where we're on a mission to empower women with the mindset, tools, and strategies so that they can lead powerfully and authentically in order to make a massive impact on this world. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan. Hi there, Driven Women. How are you all doing? Welcome to season three of the show. And I am so excited to start off in the fashion that I'm about to start off with. So I've had the distinct pleasure of interviewing two very brilliant Jamaican women who attended Oxford University. And we had the opportunity to have a conversation around what I'd say are very heavy issues. And I think the timing for some of the conversations we had are very fitting, even though these interviews were done much earlier into 2020. These women are absolutely brilliant, and I am so honored to have had the opportunity to speak with them. I want to say thank you so much to Hannah Lloyd, who I met through LinkedIn. She actually saw my profile, wanted to connect with persons who are in Jamaica, Jamaicans who are doing work around policy development and leadership development. And it so happens that she was working at Oxford University, and somehow in our conversation, it came out that I've always wanted to attend the school. And she said yes to assisting me with finding these two guests that I have lined up for you. I want to also say that Hannah has been accepted to study at Oxford University to pursue her master's, and she's actually uh, doing a GoFundMe right now. So if you were to follow me on Twitter, Sophia Bryan, J-A, you'll see the link to her GoFundMe. I think she's an absolutely brilliant young woman and she definitely has her heart in the right place whereby she has the intention to utilize the skill set she would have she'll gain pursuing her masters to really better humanity and to really impact uh, persons from the Caribbean and persons who have Caribbean heritage. So that was my mini spiel, and I hope you enjoy the show, and let's get right into it. So my guest today, she is uh, Associate Dean for Research and PhD Programs, and uh, E. Marie Shantz Professor of IT Management at Queen's University in Canada. She holds a PhD in business administration from Western University and an MPhil in management studies from Oxford University. <laughs> so you all know by now that um, it was my childhood dream to go to Oxford <laughs> and that sort of inspired my desire to share stories from persons who went to Oxford. And so we'll be speaking a little bit about her journey at the school as well. She has degrees in electrical engineering and computer science from MIT. She's a Rhodes Scholar 
and studies IT strategy, knowledge strategy, and digital innovation, and publishes in leading journals such as MIS Quarterly, Information Systems Research, Information Systems Journal, among others. She has served as an associate editor for several journals and as senior editor of the Journal for Strategic Information Systems and for MISQ Executive. This is very interesting. She's a fellow of the Association for Information Systems. At Queen's University, she has received research awards, the Commerce Teaching Excellence Award, the Commerce Professor Student Life Award, the Queen's Excellence in Graduate Supervision Award, and the Queen's Distinguished Service Award. So we have a very prestigious guest today, and I'm so excited. So my guest today uh, is Yolanda E. Chan, Dr. Yolanda E. Chan. Hello, how are you? Hello, <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here, Sophia. It's a delight to be a part of your series. Awesome, awesome. Do you ever listen to someone reading your profile and wonder if they're talking about you? <laughs> it's a lovely question. And uh, I know that everything I have, everything I've achieved, it's, I consider it all a gift. Mm -hmm. So if, if I listen to a list of accomplishments, I consider myself to have been so fortunate. And mm -hmm. I know that there are so many really brilliant women who haven't had the same opportunities or the same fortune. So mm -hmm. more celebration of how, uh, how fortunate and, and how absolutely uh, blessed almost I've been Mm, mm, I love that response. Okay, so I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your childhood, uh, where you're from, uh, where you were born, and what life was like growing up. Thank you. So I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. It's quite interesting. Yes! <laughs> I grew up in Jamaica. I grew up as part of a family of six. My dad and mom were both very, very brilliant people in their own rights. They had both won scholarships. My mom had won the island scholarship and my dad had won the parish scholarship when they were you know, finishing high school. And uh, my dad went on to be a lawyer. My mom wanted to be a lawyer, but uh, actually sacrificed all of her personal dreams to raise four children. Mm -hmm. And each of, yes, so I owe so much to her. I would not be where I am today at all without my mom. And, uh, you know, she raised the four of us and they both had such uh, a strong supportive environment for us that I tell my, my friends that I'm the least qualified of my siblings. Mm -hmm. And they, they can't believe it, but it's true. All, all my siblings, all three of them got both professional degrees and doctorates. So they wow. a lawyer, a doctor, a vet, and they all did the professional certification as well as doctorates. So mm -hmm. here I am with just the doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very, very strong family. And we, you know, I was raised in, as an Anglican. As I have a very strong faith. I think that mm -hmm. changed my life because I really think that grounded me and helped me 
make good choices. I went to Catholic school. Some of your listeners may know Immaculate Conception. Yes, yes. I went to the prep. I went to the high school. I then went on to Campion College, which was a, so Immaculate was Roman Catholic. Campion was Jesuit. These are all schools that really sewed into my life. And the, one of the leaders there, Sister Maureen Claire Hall, who was the 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 headmistress when I was at Immaculate. I mean, to this day, whenever I go to Jamaica, she makes time to meet with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has continued to, to be a mentor of sorts, someone who has really been so inspirational to me that here I am years, decades later, still getting value from from Immaculate and from Campion. And both both schools have been so kind to me. Both schools are in touch. And I continue to try to sew into these schools financially if I can mm-hmm. in other ways because they were part of the foundation that allowed me to excel. Yes, yes, amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I love the fact that you mentioned how much your faith Uh, influenced your growth and development because I just feel like I'll always say to people denying your spiritual side I think it's almost putting yourself at a disadvantage it's like you're denying yourself of that advantage you have because I think spirituality and having faith um, it allows us to be so grounded and so mindful of everything and to it deals with the overwhelm and the stress of life and so I just love that I love that you you share that so openly. And I agree with everything you've just said. It Mm -hmm. gives you a foundation. It gives you wisdom. It gives you strength. Uh, It allows you to have a perspective that is broader than the immediate problem Mm -hmm. or challenge facing you. So Mm -hmm. it builds resilience. And then often the community you're part of as a result of that faith Mm -hmm. are people who are, are very strong and excellent uh, persons along in their own journeys. So it not only do you benefit individually through the internal strengthening and the direction you have through your faith, the community around you also pulls you in the right direction. So mm-hmm. it is not in any way a trivial part of my journey. It is the core. And without mm-hmm. it, I would not be where I am today. Now, I must say that in a university setting, which is where I am placed, where I am serving, that is not a discussion that is something exactly awesome. exactly mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and so i don't often get a chance to share that because there are many who are skeptical and say that's you know the old time thinking that's not current but uh i i know that uh what i believe is is indeed valid and unfortunately many uh don't experience that and so discount it so i consider mm-hmm. that i have all that they have so I have the knowledge, I have the data, I have the rigorous training, I have the connections, I have everything they have, but I also have what they unfortunately don't have, and I wish I could, wish I could share, but they don't necessarily wish to receive, mm-hmm. which is faith that is a rock. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And that's one of the things I love about uh, growing up in Jamaica is because that is it's encouraged so much. And then, you know, as children growing up, um, we don't really appreciate it. Nobody really wants to pray or, you know, do the rituals. And then when we step out into the vast world <laughs> that exists, we that's when we really appreciate those moments of um, thoughtfulness and lean, leaning in on our faith. So um, 
That's wonderful. But I find it interesting that you are so grounded spiritually and you are in the, the IT space, albeit more academic, but the technological science type of space. Uh, what led you to that? Right. So actually, <laughs> the two are connected. Mm-hmm. I had uh, received a number of scholarships at the end of my high school journey. So I had about six scholarships. One was at the University of the West Indies, so that was in Jamaica. But then mm-hmm. I had about five in the U.S. And there were some more full, some more partial scholarships. And I actually turned to my mentor at the time, Sister Maureen Claire Hall, who was the headmistress of ICHS in Macbeth Conception mm-hmm. High School. And we chatted and she said, I think MIT, you've got mm-hmm. into some of these other places, Harvard, et, et cetera. But I think MIT is the up and coming. And I really feel that that's a place that you should consider attending. And I spoke with my parents and they said, this is your decision. Mm-hmm. This is a decision. And they gave me the freedom to make the decision I felt best. And uh, I used that information and chose MIT. And that did change my life. Mm. If I'd gone to some of the other schools, I might have pursued a slightly different uh, path because MIT is very, very computing science and engineering focused. And it was a required component of my education, although I didn't initially sign up for that. I signed up for maths. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I loved the courses. And in, I changed my degree from a math-based focus into computing science and engineering Mm. and then ended up um, using that uh, after I did the undergrad and grad there using using that as a platform for my work I as you know had a scholarship after MIT that took me over to Oxford as you said Mm, and and I I met my husband there and uh, he was coming to Canada after he finished his studies, he's also a Rhodes Scholar, by the way, and we we went back uh, together across um, the pond, as we say, to Canada, and mm-hmm. I had to decide what I wanted to do. So my background, my, my, my major grounding was in electrical engineering and computing science, but the studies I did at, at Oxford were in management. And so I thought to myself let me combine the two and the management of information technology actually Mm -hmm. does exactly that. It combines management and business with the information technology, the computer science, the the engineering, the computing background. And so MIS or management of information systems or what I do today, IT management, you know, digital strategy, digital um, innovation, they all are linked to both management and technology. And so I combined mm. the two foundations, one that I had received in the U.S. at MIT and the other one in England at Oxford. Mm. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so um, talk to us a little bit about what your experience was like in Oxford as a woman with Caribbean ancestry. Um, how did you think that played into your experience there? So there were high points and low points. The high point, as I mentioned, was that I met my husband who mm-hmm. was representing, <laughs> yeah, the British Caribbean. So he he's Guyanese, Chinese, and uh, we met and 
and actually married before I left Oxford. It was, we were only there for two years, but fairly quickly. That's amazing. I know. (laughs) And and we've only been married for, let me see, 37 years almost. (laughs) Oh my God. See, you know, know, I have to interject here. I just feel like people just know. Mm-hmm. You know, people just know that, okay, I'm at this stage in life now. And I know that this woman is going to be my wife or I know this man is going to be my husband and they just do it. Wow. <laughs> they don't need to wait forever and ever. Right. I, I really knew I'd, <laughs> I'd uncovered a gem. And, and so there were some real high points. And that, of course, is the major high point. My life was changed yeah. forever. I, you know, was married. I, I have now two children in that marriage Mm -hmm. or grown children now it's it's been such a major gift to me there were low points and I would say uh, perhaps the lowest point which may have something to do with my being of Caribbean uh, descent was I remember going to a store and having the person refuse to serve me now that that couldn't happen today at least I hope it wouldn't happen today but it happened then and I was in downtown Oxford and you know I was in the line and the person just the server just kept going past me mm. and asking the person behind me. And I, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I thought, I, I wonder, uh, does she not see me here? Mm-hmm. And then what happened was a gentleman stopped and said, the lady ahead of me is ahead of me. She needs to be served. And uh, mm-hmm. the lady just closed up her cash register and walked away. Wow. And that was one of the first not the only, but one of the first sort of major times of sort of, whoa, I am not welcome here. I, mm-hmm. I am encountering someone who doesn't wish to interact with me mm-hmm. and who is not going to take my order. And I remember waiting and wondering what to do. I felt so embarrassed. Whereas actually I had nothing to be embarrassed about. I had done nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually another cashier came over. Uh, another person came over, opened the cashier, took my order. And I was so sort of numb. I just completed the purchase. Didn't didn't know, you know, today I'm not sure I would have t- completed the purchase. I might mm-hmm. have just left. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I completed the, the purchase and, and left. But those were... You know, those were many decades ago. I hope that that couldn't happen today. But that that was an experience that shook me a bit because in Jamaica, we are all, you know, of one people. Mm-hmm. We're of many different streams and the races are all intermingled and we're one big family. You know, out of many, one people is even our, our the island motto. And so to, to be, you know, brought face to face with the fact that that you are not uh, one with others or they don't perceive you to be of their people, it, it, it can throw you. But it didn't mm-hmm. throw me enough to put me off, just perhaps saddened me and, and on I went. But in general, I loved Oxford. In general, it was a time of enjoying my studies in the uh, the management uh, faculty. It was a time of meeting people I found the, the the professors were very caring. They invited me to their homes. I I loved the tutorial system, which was very one on one or just a very mm-hmm. small group with an instructor. It was it was an environment that I thrived in. 
I found scholastically it was a very good experience for me. And, uh, you know, I, I had no regrets. The Rhodes experience was wonderful as well. The Rhodes community were very welcoming, very supportive. And there were periodic events that pulled all of the scholars in Oxford together. And, you know, it, there was a community there for me. I enjoyed mm-hmm. I, nice. the river. I learned to punt. You know, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed, I, I tried rowing for a bit. I, I enjoyed my college life. I enjoyed, uh, you know, meeting people who were were local as well. So I wasn't only in the university setting. It was generally a really good experience with just a few points that were not as positive for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was a balance. And at the end of the day, it was up to you to decide how you're going to treat with the not so great moments. Yes. And those were, those were rare. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. The overwhelming experience was extremely positive for me. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I want to ask you now, um, having achieved so much um, in your field, what were some of the strategic moves um, you took in order to get to where you are now, especially having gotten married and having children, you know, how, what were the strategic moves that you had to make, you know, to move your career along? Yes. I think anyone who's trying to parent and work and who really wants to do a, 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 an extremely good job of parenting will have challenge because work can be all absorbing and parenting can also be all absorbing. So I did have to learn to set priorities to uh, really refine the time management. I would even call it life management skills. I learned to be very organized and I also learned that it was okay not to be perfect. Mm. It was okay not to yes. be super mom. And I, I did experience sadness when sometimes the people around me were doing more with their children, like having a house that was always full of children. And mm-hmm. and that might not be my house. It might be the neighbor's house. And I'm kind of wishing, I wish it were my house. <laughs> but hey... You know, at least my children know I love them and they know that I'm here and sometimes their friends are over, but maybe it's not every day like my neighbor. So stop mm-hmm. none of this comparison stuff. I just couldn't do that. I just had to to just uh, give my very best on both fronts and to make my home always be a place of love. And my husband, of course, knows my allegiance to him. Mm-hmm. So there's a question of, of setting up the priorities but then giving giving all that I could on both fronts, but but realizing that I needed to stop at points and replenish. Otherwise, you can't do the marathon because parenting isn't a sprint and your work isn't a sprint. At least, you know, I've been at Queen's for, for decades now. Mm-hmm. It's not a sprint. So you have to be able to sustain high demands and conflicting demands. So I, I learned to nourish myself. So uh, that's partly by surrounding myself with, with those who are kind to me. That would be primarily my family, my extended family. You know, I, mm-hmm. I interact with folk from Jamaica regularly to this day, many times a week, electronically. Lovely. Yeah, in those days it was by phone. Today it's more like by WhatsApp or by some of the other technologies. 
but mm-hmm. uh, you know <laughs> it's it's important to stay connected with those who are supportive of you and so you're not out on a limb by yourself my husband is my biggest champion he's my best friend and you know i've always had him by my side and i hope i'm there for him too and so you know, when things are getting rocky at work, uh, you're not losing your ground or losing your balance because you're so, you know, well supported. And my faith community uh, have been such a, a strong support to me as well. And and I, I think just having a perspective that I am running my race. I'm not running mm, yes, race. Yes, yes. I'm running my race and ensuring that the communication lines were open especially in my my home and in my family and friends, that they knew my intentions, even if I couldn't deliver always on, you know, showing up when somebody else might be able to show up or, you know, I, I might bring bring store-bought food to a potluck, whereas, <laughs> you know, everybody else all cooked this aromatic right. fare and I just come in with my, you know, I won't give you the grocery store name, but... <laughs> bring that but, but but knowing that that's okay at least I came right right and, and similarly on the work front um learning not to look left and right you know I I, I couldn't look at my colleagues who didn't have families so when I first had a child at Smith School of Business I was the first female faculty member to have a, a baby while mm. on faculty so there were female faculty members who had older children and those children were 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 not delivered though while they were in that role i was the first to my knowledge anyway to actually have a baby while trying to teach and do research and do the administration and there weren't too many rules and there were no role models for me so i at first i was trying to mimic everyone around me who didn't have young children right and then I realized that that was a way to disaster because it wouldn't lead to happiness because I would always feel like uh you know less than the other because I could never I just there are only 24 hours in a day exactly and if someone someone is totally without children and totally without any responsibilities outside the work you know environment there's no way I can put in the same amount of time and so recognizing that if I have a day or if I have an hour and this is a work hour, I had to nuke it. I had to give it everything I could. But then at the end of the day, it didn't help me to kind of mope or feel sorry for myself or grieve that I didn't mm-hmm. have two hours versus one hour or complain or gripe. I, the, I had to recognize that my problem, if, you, if people looked at me and said, you have you know, you're doing, you're so stretched. My problem was because I was so blessed. I was so, mm. I had so much. I had a full home and a full career. What a gift. Yes. So so rather than feeling badly about not being able to knock things off, you know, as fast as maybe I might want to knock them off my checklist or something. And it, it was okay because I had to follow the path that was my path. And, and uh, you know, I remember that in the pre-tenure years, the, the average tenure period is six years. I've always done things fast. Like, a, mm-hmm. you know, at MIT, I actually combined six years into four. It's a long story. I, I've done <laughs> it fast. And, 
And I was used to doing things fast. So I said to myself, you know, I'm going, I'm pre-tenure. Tenure is the time when you get a permanent appointment with the university. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I must do it fast. Like, you know, everybody says six, so I must do it in five. Well, that was when I had my two children. Right. I ended up taking an extra year, not doing it in a year less, but taking a year more. Mm-hmm. But, but that was because I actually had an official leave for a year. I didn't take a leave with my first son. And by the way, women, I would not recommend that. You should take every every opportunity given to you to balance home and work. And yes. that was a mistake I made. I was trying to be super woman. I was trying to tell everybody they'd never seen a woman on faculty have a baby before. So I was not going to break any stereotypes. I, I mean, break their vision of what a good faculty member was. I was going to work like my son hadn't just arrived. <laughs> and that, and, you know, I did. But in hindsight, I would not do that again. With my second son, I did take a leave. And so, you know, for the first time in my life, instead of beating every deadline, I was actually a year delayed because of that that um, maternity leave. And, and having to adjust my mindset to say, no, that's okay. I don't have to 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 have the old mold, I now have new responsibilities. And actually between tenure and becoming a full professor, which is typically at Queen's another six or so years, mm-hmm. um, I actually, uh, you know, as it, life would have it, I I was was fortunate and blessed enough to to do that. I broke that record. I I, mm-hmm. I caught up. I yes. absolutely caught up after when the children were a little bit older I I you know had people saying I can't believe you've already become a full prof but but I you know the early days when I was struggling with young young kids and a demanding career and I hadn't given myself any time I mean there are consequences so acknowledging that I make choices so I'm responsible for the choices that I make and and that's okay to to have to to make trade-offs, yeah. but I'm no longer trying to please others. I'm actually listening to that inner voice, that inner core, and I'm following that inner light. And And there's peace in, in meeting my own goals. And I, I learned to be more inner focused. And uh, interestingly, the less I gave control to others to determine what I did, the more I actually excelled by being mm-hmm. able to do things my own way. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, what has been uh, the best advice and the worst advice you've been given throughout your journey? So interestingly, uh, they, the first is consistent with, I think, what I've said, which is mm-hmm. right. to thyself. Inward. Yeah, to thine own self be true. So to thyself or to thine own self be true. I think that that is certainly something that I say over and over and I, I was told that early and it it's given me joy. So I don't envy other people. I'm not jealous of other people because that's their journey. The world is a big place. We can all excel. We can all succeed. I'm going to jump up and down and shout for joy when my neighbor, even my competitor succeeds because I know it's a big world and I'm just being true to my journey and myself, my life, my calling, my goals. I don't have to look left or right. I don't have to, you know, um, you know, go to a certain place or achieve a certain 
you know, title or have a certain role. I just have to be who I am designed to be. I have to be me. And that has brought incredible peace. And it has, it has removed a lot of the stress. And I stay focused on what I think is best for my family, for myself, for those I have responsibility for, how I can help my friends and colleagues and the people that I have responsibility for at the university, the students that I, whose lives I shape, the graduate students and my, my professor uh, colleagues. Uh, I, I look at, at it through a service role, not mm-hmm. through a competitive role. Even if they're competing with me, I'm not competing with them, which is interesting. Yes. I could tell you stories. The worst advice I've been given wasn't actually a pro- wasn't professional advice. I had left Toronto. My husband and I lived in Toronto for many years when I was with Accenture, a, a consulting firm, and he he was doing his residency, his medical res- residency. Mm-hmm. And we had to sell our home. Uh, and uh, I spoke with a friend who who suggested that we not let the current tenant, who was a real estate agent, sell it. She said, perhaps quite shrewdly, that, uh, you know, he has a conflict of interest. He's in the house. Yes, he's he's volunteered to sell it, but you know what? He's currently living in it. I think you should get someone else to sell it for you. Let him move out and wait till he's finished uh, renting it and afterwards sell it using someone who's independent of him. Sounded like great advice. I won't tell you the nightmare that that arose Mm. from that, Uh, you know, it just it it was a terrible experience with a tenant following that was, you know, someone who didn't pay bills, and then getting the tenant out of the house was a oh an experience that I've never been through and never want to go through again. Restoring the house and then listing the house from a distance and selling the house from a distance, it was a disaster. Wow! I think I learned from that though that at the end of the day. If you take advice, because at first I felt like angry at my friend, like I had the guy, he wanted Mm -hmm. to sell it. Here we are stuck with this home that's being ransacked. But the problem there is if you take advice, you have to own it. Yes. And you made the decision, right? I learned that it was my decision to listen to the council. And my, my husband and I have to take full responsibility. We couldn't see how it would unfold. It didn't unfold well. But you can't blame the person who advised you because at some point you choose and you are weighing advice. And if you choose to listen to advice, it's on you. And so uh, I learned to follow my own gut. I learned that uh, just because someone I respect says, do this, it doesn't mean I need to. I listen to it very respectfully, but I weigh other things. And I've learned to sometimes say to a a dear friend, even uh, this isn't, I know I thank you so much for what you're saying, but this on reflection, isn't the way I'm going to go. And that can be a tense situation. Yeah. Learned to not please people, not, not, not set out to please them above what is best. I, I know do what's best. I do what's right. And I, I own my decisions and I take responsibility for my choices. So that is one of the best. And I think too, having that sort of perspective within yourself allows you to deal with the moments when your advice is rejected. 
<laughs> by people that you care for. Because uh, one of the things I've often said to myself, you know, I'm overgiving unsolicited advice, even to my family. And um, sometimes we just can't help ourselves. And then we have to realize that at the end of the day, it's their decision to make and whether or not they want to accept what we've said or even consider it. Um, we shouldn't be attached to the outcome of that because yeah. it's on them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Powerful. So do you have a favorite book? And if yes, why? Well, I would say that, you know, putting faith aside, of course, clearly with my faith, I have a, a favorite book. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Christian and, and it's the Bible, right? But, yes. but I read widely. I, re- I, read, I read for my discipline, which is uh, IT management. So, you know, I teach. So whenever you're teaching, you have to read. So there are lots of, of books that I read that are professional books. And one of my colleagues at Queen's University, writes a lot on IT strategy. I, uh, I won't give you his name, but I, you know, I read those books cover to cover. But I also read personally. So I have a whole range of books. I read books on leadership. I read books on time management, life management, change management. I read books on emotional intelligence. I, I, you know, I, I read books even on, on, on lifestyle uh, so choices mm. like diet, like, you know, learning how to exercise in, in time constrained um, modes. And I, 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 I try to inform the way I live. So I have to say that one of my favorite activities is going to Amazon online. But I also have to confess <laughs> that one of my horrible downsides is I have a lot of books. <laughs> mm, oh my so, God, I'm so, in the trap as well. <laughs> you I got it. Too. So, so I, I really look for input. When life throws me a challenge, I read. And mm-hmm. I, I try to get expertise. And then I make the decision based on counsel that I get through people who I know in my network who have the information. But Quite often, it's actually through searching uh, online for sources of, of information that can help, and then making um, some choices and and obtaining something. Or, by the way, I should say for today's young women, a lot of stuff is free on the web. Now you have to mm-hmm. be careful because there's garbage on the web as well as good stuff, and you can fall into into um, you know the trap of getting something that is really. Uh, really not worth your time, but but uh, YouTube has some uh, material that you pay nothing for that's actually really incredible. And I learned the other day that after Google, YouTube is the most searched, mm-hmm. um, you know, site. It, it's the most. It, it's a, sorry, I should have said that differently. It's the biggest search engine that's used. So mm-hmm. so whereas I'm actually investing in books. As someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, financial, um, you know, there's no resource there for them or very limited resource uh, in place financially, they can go online. But the bottom line for me is uh, I like moving forward from a base of knowledge and information and data. That's part of my information management training. You get the data, you gather information you make sense of it, which is when you get to knowledge and you can take action. So I tend to live life from an informed uh, 
way or with an informed approach and and for me books are my friends so there isn't one book I have a lot of friends (laughs) oh lovely uh you mentioned in the talk about books that you do read books about lifestyle so I wanted to to ask you are there any lifestyle practices that you have or any non-negotiables that you think sort of add bliss and joy to your life that you enjoy doing? Yes. I think that there are certain uh, staples, certain core parts of my day that and uh, my life that, that I absolutely would not give up. So I, I start each day in a centered way. I start in the quiet of the morning, I get up very early before anyone else typically, and I would would read or pray, and I would center myself. I'd look at my schedule for the day, and that time of centering, that time of of dealing with the cares of the world, and and getting a vision for the day. That's 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 very key. Uh, in, in addition to that time of centering, I also uh, know that that um, I need to stay healthy physically. So I exercise each day. I I typically jog on a treadmill and I do a little bit of weightlifting. Uh, Recently, uh, I've started uh, once a week uh, meeting with a trainer, but that's only recently. For many, many decades, my life was so full. I couldn't be training and I couldn't go to a gym. I (laughs) I had to work out at home because you do what you can. You use the time you have. You make the most of your situation and you acknowledge the constraints but even even in my most constrained times I try to make some some time regularly for some exercise because if my body fails me it's all over right mm-hmm. so yes. so so that's really core uh, my family that support network and being engaged with my family that's core even when I travel I'm in touch with my husband I I am regularly in touch with my sons. I, I, as I said earlier in our conversation, to this day reach out to my family in Jamaica many times in a week. Like it's not once a week. I, I connect with my, my Jamaican family multiple times in a week to this day. And I go to Jamaica probably twice a year because I, I have, uh, you know, I'm a very elderly mom. And I realize that, my days with her are numbered and, and, and B it's, it's a priority for me. That connectedness yes. is, is a priority. Um, more recently, I've really begun to be careful with my eating as well. Uh, I know I used to think that you just think about eating as a last, last resource. Like you're just getting your stuff done and you just grab something, whatever is there and just stuff it down your mouth. That isn't good. And, um, you know, for the last several years, I've really begun to have, a I call it a plant-based diet. So it's, it's vegetables and fruit. And I, I actually, at this season in my life, I'm, um, I'm vegan. I actually, mm. that, that's recent. That I have to say is recent. But that's because when I've done my own research, I think that's the healthiest lifestyle. And because I'm eating on the run often, I want to make sure that I'm putting healthy stuff in me. And so that's something that, that I've done as a choice because I really do believe that, uh, yeah, in addition to that spiritual base we talked about, yes, need to be emotionally well. So that's where the network comes in. 
that's where the family and uh, comes in and where where having um, you know some rest in your life uh, comes in so so uh, uh, that's where uh, you know also uh, you know we haven't talked about unplugging periodically but mm-hmm. uh, I try once a week to unplug just even if it's just for a couple hours but to do something that's refreshing and renewing to me uh, because that emotional wellness is critical the physical wellness with the exercise and the 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 proper eating which which I confess for many years the, the eating was not a priority but it is for me now uh, that is another part of what I call my fundamental base. Mm-hmm. Yes, all of these um, very good tips. It's so interesting that um, as women who are very career-driven, impact-driven, we forget about the lifestyle piece. And so I love asking persons about that. And I love the fact that you prioritize it um, because I'm in that space now too where it's all about skincare <laughs> and it's all about um, figuring out what my body needs, where food is concerned. So I yeah. really love that piece. Yes. And there's an analogy that I'll share. Someone shared it with me. I don't know who originated it, but uh, it is a tennis ball. If you have a container of like three tennis balls, you can pour sand in around that those tennis balls and fill up the container and everything holds. Mm-hmm. But if you pour that sand in first, you can't get those three tennis balls in. So mm-hmm. if those priorities are put in first, like I need to center myself and have a strong core faith or spirituality. I need to have a strong emotional wellness um, score. I need to be well emotionally. I need to be physically strong. I need to have sufficient rest. I need to eat. I need to exercise. You put those balls in, Believe it or not, you can get a ton of sand in, a ton of run a thousand errands. Mm-hmm. You working hard. I I work some say a little too hard. Lots and lots of work. You can get it all in around the 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 the, the priorities. But if you neglect those priorities and you try to add them in, you just can't fit it in. You can't yeah. fit them in. Yeah, and then we complain about not having enough time to meditate or to exercise. Yes, so so it's a focused, priority-driven life where you're flexible enough so that, you know, there there are many days when you can't get these all right and you're not looking for perfection, but you're trying your best each day and you're remembering these three areas and you're trying to get the balls in as best you can. But, um, you know, it's only after trying that you do the other stuff and, and you accept that sometimes you don't do any exercise or sometimes you aren't going to have a chance to speak to your family that day. Uh, but, but you've on a consistent basis, if you look at the pattern of your life, the priorities are there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. So it's the season of love. It's February. Um, well, February is important for many other reasons. <laughs> outside of valentine's day but um as someone that you met your husband while studying 
for some of the driven women who are in that space of, you know, trying to figure out the dating scene, wondering if they'll ever get married, wondering if they even want to be married. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for them about, you know, to kind of keep calm and to keep optimistic where the love life is concerned? Yes. And so one of the roles I have is as Associate Dean Research and PhD MSc programs, I do get to see and mentor a lot of young women. So all the PhD and MSc students uh, in the program, I, I, I'm, I consider it a privilege. I get at times to speak into their lives and I see the angst and I mm-hmm. see the, the frustration and in some cases almost despair, like, you know, especially if you're like a postdoc and yeah. you're in your 30s or I have friends and colleagues who are in their 40s and 50s still not married, you know, how come this happened to me? Life has passed me by. And I would say that's not at all the mindset. So first of all, even before I talk about uh, the dating scene, I would say that one of the lessons I've learned in life, again, is that we each have our own path. Yes. And so there is, there comes a time when you realize that you can't, uh, try to live the life that somebody else has. But that said, you know, and I think I know a lot of very content single women my age and older. Uh, but that said, if your heart desire, heart's desire is to, to, to have a partner, um, I would say a few things. The first is that the more you are, are showing that you're not not stressing about this and desperate and (laughs) anxious you're actually sending vibes that are are working for you the the more that you are are anxiously trying to to uh, grab a partner the the more you are actually probably repelling the partner Mm. Um, I I would say as well that you know be the partner you want to have be the person you, you would love to be with and um, that, again, also helps. Uh, for me, I think that uh, it's, it's different seasons in life. And if you're in a season where you are without a partner and you're single, uh, that is, is, is actually to be grasped. Because uh, if, if you are longing for a partner, you likely will have one. And that season, you may look back on and long to be in it again. Mm, don't don't yes. miss out on the benefits of the current season. Yes, there are things that you feel you're losing out on. But don't, don't live in the future. Live in the present. Make the most of the season you're in. And be who you want to, to be with, you know, in terms of the kind of person and uh, the kinds of 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 activities and uh, just 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 the priorities that you're 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 showing through your life, and you know for me faith is a huge part. Mm-hmm. I, I don't stress about too much. I mean I'm human, so of course I you know things come and they challenge or they concern, but I I tend to be able to let them go. Even if they keep coming, I keep letting them go. So so that's where. For me, faith helps a huge amount where I, 
I actually um, believe that what's best for me will indeed uh, occur. And, and so I don't feel I have to grasp. Uh, but, but I do know that a lot of, of women, especially young women, uh, feel lonely. I was speaking to a, a, a man just this weekend, a colleague and a, a, a neighbor, and my husband and I were chatting with him. And he's in his 60s and he's desperately lonely. Mm, and, you know, my heart broke for him. So he's saying, you know, at this point in my life, you know, am I really going to get a partner? And I'm not looking forward to being 90 and being on my own. And, and, and I was hearing his cry, his inner cry. And I think we all like to be connected. None of us yes. really, at least very few of us like to be completely alone. So it's a very natural feeling. And I don't think we have to repress it. I think we can experience it. But uh, this is where I would say it's not to be overwhelmed by it. It's not to be dominated by it. It's to 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 live with an open hand, to to do everything practically. So you're mm-hmm. not just uh, working in your room at home, isolated, and then expecting, uh, you know, um, someone to show up, you know, to appear magically in, in the room. You have to get out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to be A bit of action yes. never, doesn't hurt. Yes, <laughs> in clubs, in, in communities, in volunteer um, be in be be interacting with people and and doing things that are meaningful where, where you're likely to meet people who you'd like to be with for the rest of your life you know uh, and so there's there's a there's some steps that can be taken and I know that uh, some of my friends do the online thing I think it's really dangerous but some people I know have very successfully navigated this online I just know that there are more more pits there than opportunities mm-hmm. but but I mentioned that in passing because it, at least two people I know have had very good outcomes but I I know of more who've had disastrous experiences yeah. so uh, I really think that ideally one is at peace with oneself one realizes that I don't need anyone else to complete me although that would be lovely we we kind of with an open hand live fully in the day in the season we have we do practically what we can to, to expose ourselves to others who might have similar mindsets and be people we'd want to spend our lives with. And, yes. um, you know, we move forward as it as the opportunities and doors open. We explore them. And it's it's knowing that your happiness is never dependent on another person. Yes. It ultimately, just like I said earlier, we're responsible for ourselves, even our happiness. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so many amazing nuggets have been shared in our conversation and I'm excited to see what the feedback is going to be like from the listeners. So my final question to you, uh, Dr. Chan, is what keeps you driven? <laughs> Thank you so much for, for that interesting question. You know, a part of me doesn't want to acknowledge being driven, but I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that although some may have it that is a negative connotation, I think it's a positive word. I think being driven means you have a goal. It means that you're you are putting out energy towards meeting that goal. You're not just going any which way. And I think that those are positive characteristics. 
So, you know, there's a saying, carpe diem, seize the day. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that we live once. I believe that we've got no time to waste. And so every day, every moment I have, first of all, it's a gift. You know, um, when a plane goes down, as we heard this past week, we lost uh, um, a great uh, sportsman this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't know at the start of that day that you're going to die. Uh, you know, when a bomb uh, explodes, you have no way of knowing. I, I think every single day we have is a gift. So I want to use every day well, which means that that uh, I want to use every opportunity well and fully. So I don't engage in a wishy-washy way. If I've got a task, I give it my all. And that means that um, I am doing everything I can with every breath I have to have my life count, to make a difference, a positive difference. I want to be inspirational for others. I want to help others. I want to serve others. It's not all about me. I am just a speck. I am just one little part. But that little part that I have, that little flame I am, Mm -hmm. I want it to burn as brightly as I can have it burn. I don't want to live with regrets. I've got no time to waste. I've got no time to say, well, maybe one day, you know, that opportunity Mm -hmm. will come back. The opportunity I have is now. The day I've been given is today. The moment I have is this moment. And so, yes, although I do rest, I do unplug periodically, I continually look forward. I see where my life can count. I go where the doors are open. I don't bang my head on doors that won't open. But when a door opens, I run through it with all that I am and with all that I have to give. And I give everything I can. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, This has just been a joy, this conversation. And um, I know, I know this will be a blessing to so many. And it's a delight to connect with you. You're transforming lives. And look, you know, you have decades and decades and decades ahead. Imagine the impact you Mm -hmm. will make. Hooray yeah. for you, Sophia. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you too. Thank it was you. a real privilege. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Driven Woman podcast. Be sure to head over to sophiabryan.com and check out my free resources tab. I love hearing from you. So my DMs are open and you can follow me at underscore Sophia Bryan and Sophia Bryan JA on Instagram and Twitter respectively. Follow the show at Driven Woman Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. Looking forward to hearing from you and looking forward to receiving your feedback. Until next time, stay driven.